this episode of Bet on Yourself, we're talking with Pablo Rodriguez, who is not only an entrepreneur, business executive, and computer scientist, he is recognized as a creative leader and visionary. I, I don't think anybody has yet mastered the art of innovation. Pablo is currently an ambassador and advisor to X, formerly known as Google X, which is Google's moonshot factory where they work on projects like driverless cars. Prior to Google, Pablo was the founding CEO of Europe's very first moonshot factory called Alpha for the Spanish telco Telefonica, which is incidentally where Pablo and I first met just after I moved from Silicon Valley to Spain. Pablo's worked at several Silicon Valley startups, at Microsoft Research in Cambridge, and at Bell Labs in New Jersey. He's written more than 150 scientific publications and has 30 patents. He is a very busy guy. Pablo is passionate about organizations coming together to solve humanity's biggest problems through technology and using moonshot thinking to unveil what he believes will ultimately lead to a world where ideas are a valued currency. In this episode, we discuss the concepts of moonshots, why they're becoming pervasive beyond just Silicon Valley, and how to stay motivated when quote-unquote failure is a part of the moonshot process. We also discuss how to build teams for innovation, as well as how the pandemic lockdown has generally affected entrepreneurship and risk-taking, including in some unexpected ways. This episode has practical advice for anyone, regardless of your experience with or tolerance for moonshot risk-taking. This concept applies more to your everyday life than you might expect. Prepare to be inspired. Pablo Rodriguez, thank you so much for coming on the Bet on Yourself podcast. Thank you so much. And yeah, pleasure to be here. I'm really, really excited for our conversation. You and I met several years ago while you were still at Telefonica Alpha. And now you've gone back to my, my homeland and now you're at Google X. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there is, there is a commonality in that journey and, and it's a very purpose-driven mission. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still in love with uh, what I used to do a few years ago and I hope uh, it's going to go for quite some more time. It's exciting. So to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Um, get to know you um, before you became this moonshot ambassador. I'm super curious, what was your very first job ever? What, how did you get a start in this? Gee, my very first job. I mean, I, I remember my, my very, the, the very first money that I earned. And, and it was, it was, um, I, 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 was, I was trying to become a professional, uh, professional accordionist player. And uh, yeah, and uh, so music has been running a lot through my life. And, and I, I remember training one day in a hotel near the conservatory, um, practicing. And uh, it, was, it was very warm summer, uh, really hot uh, in Barcelona uh, in front of the opera house. And then as uh, people were uh, popping up, uh, uh, popping out of the opera house, uh, walking by the hotel and me rehearsing with the accordion, uh, I started uh, money flying through the window. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was a teenager at the time, so my parents uh, would have put it in the box and they said, okay, here it is, this is your first money <laughs> as a creative person. Uh, I, I never took it too seriously, but uh, you know, um, it's, it's true. Just uh, go for something that you love and then 
um, money, money comes your way in investing and funding. So uh, yes, that was the first. That was the first money that I that I made ever, probably. Flying through the window. That's the first time. Flying <laughs> through the window. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. So from there, from your early accordion playing days, you then decided to study computer science. You have a PhD in computer science. What originally inspired your interest in computers? I, 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 um, I, come, I come from the north of Spain. It's, um, it's, a, it's an area of um, social activism. Um, um, come from a working class and of the Industrial Revolution uh, society with uh, loads of classes and lineage. Um, we're probably only the offsprings of the bourgeois or the super rich. Um, the upper class or the elite were supposed to get educated um, or, or even there. Um, I, I remember going in the streets with um, uh, parents and friends, uh, with the unions and the cooperatives, and and, uh, and 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 going in the streets trying to make sure that that, that industry would stay there, and and uh, and sort of with the social activism uh, uh, idea. So when I when I um, when I started studying, I, I, I got fa I was fascinated as a kid by by technology, computer computer games. I used to belong in a small community um, that we used to um, uh, go over every single computer game that was out there and try to refine it and go into computer game competitions. I think that was the early um, the early spirit of, um, of programming. And and then when we saw um, when we saw the internet, what I saw there at the time, I was I was in London uh, doing a PhD in physics. Um, uh, I was uh, working on um, photon technologies to count uh, to detect early stage tumors. But then I realized I was spending more time on the computer than on the laser room. And and um, and when I saw the internet in in such a open way that. Uh, it was turning everything upside down. It was conceptually, uh, a lot of the components already existed within telecommunication companies, uh, like the Minitel in France and other ways of accessing content. But the part of them had shifted in a way that it was democratizing innovation. So I saw that as a way to connect with my social activists, with my idea of bringing power to everybody, of uh, making sure that everybody had a chance. And so I, I decided to, to stop uh, what I had done for, I was trained for seven years and go on and study again. Uh, so moved to Switzerland. I didn't know anything uh, about French. Uh, over the summer, I learned French because I wanted to do a PhD in, in computer science. And, and there I spent five years getting trained as um, computer scientists to, to understand and to be part of the internet and, um, and, 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 and join this sort of first wave of uh, uh, scientists and engineers that were still building um, the bare bones of the internet. You know, this was 96. There was a few handful of web pages. Uh, nothing was working, basically. It was just, it was, it was demos. Uh, so... Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy that journey of um, people inspired to do the right thing of opening all this massive opportunity to a large amount of people and, and all the engineering that was going behind the curtains to uh, build this whole infrastructure from scratch um, and, and put it at the service of, uh, of um, 
of creatives, of creatives and of people. So, um, yeah, it was, it was magic years. It was about a decade of uh, um, bringing um, of, of very fellow communities. And, and, and uh, uh, I, think, I think connecting with the initial spirit of, of the internet uh, that, was, um, that, that brought about a lot of uh, uh, technology people in my, in my generation and that, that, I, that, I, that I cherish very much. Wow. I love how casually you say, oh, I pivoted my PhD. I learned French in a summer in order to do this pivot and join this global community. Um, I re it's fascinating to me that you obviously are a natural moonshot thinker for, for you to have recognized that opportunity to have, and have been so willing to pivot given all of that time that you had already spent. And I'm, I'm really interested in getting to know how those two studies have, have um, played off each each other um, as your career progressed. So when you were doing that, actually in 1996, that takes me back, I was in my very first job ever, and I was at a startup. My family had moved to Redmond, Washington when I was eight, and um, we didn't know that that was about to be you know, a hub of major innovation in this emerging space. So I worked at a startup back when nobody even knew what that meant as my very, very first job in Redmond, Washington. So I like to think of our parallel lives, starting our, our computer, our tech, careers um, in parallel on different sides of the earth. And actually, that's what I was um, curious about next is you have worked in many different countries. You've worked in the United States. You've worked all across Europe. I'm curious your thoughts as an entrepreneur on the differences that you've seen, especially as technology and um, tech companies and tolerance for, you know, moonshot thinking. How have you experienced that differently between the two continents? You, you know, there are... There... I don't think anybody has yet mastered the art of innovation. And there could potentially be as many ways of innovating as innovations there are, and as um, ventures and startups. Um, there are a number of principles, though, that are, that are important, and that I think they come about at different stages into um, where you are, whether it's very early stage, whether it's growth, where it's exit. And, um, and I'm uh, and I'm seeing um, and I'm seeing you 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 now have kind of three different big blocks. Uh, you have China, you have uh, uh, Europe, and and uh, and, um, and Africa are, are getting close, and then and then you have um, American, the, the United States, and each of them it's sort of been driven um, by different forces. Uh, you get China being very much driven by government and state. You get the US being driven by entrepreneurship and, and uh, by uh, corporations and in their efforts. And then, and then you, you get Europe, which is um, getting closer to you know, communities and people and, and values. And, and um, depending on what state you are, um, different things matter in a different way. Um, my experience working in the United States, it's um, you get this ability to do anything, just things happen. It's so easy. It's frictionless. It's uh, uh, it just, um, mm, there are very generous conversations. It's always um, constructive and building. Um, um, and it's, it's, it's a very doing. Um, let, let's go and do and, and learn through that. 
uh, working in Europe, there is this more reflective aspect to it. There is, let's question everything and anything and uh, let's look at it from multiple angles and let's do, uh, let, let's go for a long round. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost seeing uh, things in the world now happening almost like, like a funnel where Europe is sort of investing in very basic research and science and early stages where in the US you have this very well oiled infrastructure to uh, scale, to deliver and then, um, you get you get uh, um, China, where it's really taking it to another level, and it's uh, portraying themselves as an infrastructure for for uh, for the world, and 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 really going uh, to the next level of a scale. So um, the, the the key for me has been jumping uh, from one place to another, depending on on the needs and whether my my ambition, my soul, or what I wanted to do at the time, where where. Um, what I thought it was going to be best nurtured. So, yeah, that requires a lot of listening and uh, and uh, and change. Wow, I I um, really relate to that. I in my work across my career, I've taken me to global offices. I think I counted once, and I've been to like over thirty-five Google offices around the world. And it is fascinating to see the way in which, even though we were one company and each office building felt very familiar to me. There were definitely different ways of engaging, especially within the community and our political relationships, um, a way that was being formed. And now that I live in Spain, I'm having to kind of adapt my Silicon Valley methods to the European market. So it's really helpful the way that you've described it. Yep. Um, so you now, your role is Moonshot Ambassador for X, which is a alphabet company. Um, can you, for those who aren't familiar with this, can you walk us through what a moonshot is? You recently published a Medium article on this that I think is the best definition of moonshots I've ever heard. Would you mind walking us through what that means and, and um, sure. what a moonshot ambassador does? Sure, sure. You know, I, I think moonshots is, is probably a new form of innovation. It's, um, and it's one that is very suited to the 21st century. It's one where, and, and it's coming about because of the way um, things are accelerating, uh, um, disruption is real. It just it happens, and and, and it's and it's here to stay. And uh, and I, th I don't think COVID is an exception. I think we're seeing these very rapid changes, and it's sort of hard to um, innovate when you what you're trying to do is you're trying to project yourself from where you are into what's coming next. Um, so uh, in instead, moonshots are trying to um go uh, the other way around try to go into a potential desirable future you would like to create and then from there on backtrack and um and be a force for sustainability and impact uh, the world um for me it, it carries three three um three aspects the first one it has to impact the lives of uh, more than 100 million people um and it has to impact it in, in a way that it's um, uh, that, that is pretty good, that, it's, uh, that it has some social good. The second one is um, that there needs to be a breakthrough technology um, that it's required to do this. The, you know, the, the solution to pull this off is probably a solution that hasn't been thought out before and is somehow a radical solution. You know, these are problems that have haunted humanity for hundreds of years and it's nobody has cracked it uh, until now. What's, why is it that you're going to do it now? And probably 
the likely answer is that there is some disruptive technology or confluence of technologies that are going to make it uh, possible today that um, wouldn't make it before. And the third one is that you shouldn't think this about this as, um, as an NGO. Um, you know, th th there has to be a good, sizable business at the end of the road to make sure that you can um, make this um, sustainable. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there is a, a trade-off between purpose and profit uh, uh, in, in, in anymore here. It's uh, if, if you, you, you can do uh, well by doing good. Uh, if you focus on the on, on the right purpose and uh, and you put people on planet first, and so moonshots used to happen in um, governments. I think we saw um, one of the early moonshots. Well, the, the original moonshot was uh, putting a man in the moon and uh, bringing it back safe. Very important. Um, and uh, we had other ones like coming up with uh, a network that could withstand a nuclear war and uh, we totally reinvented uh, networks and we, the internet came about by creating putting a lot of intelligence into the computers and and um, and, uh, and on the mobile phones uh, or coming up or, or decoding dna and being able to take um, uh, precision medicine to the next level now we are seeing that uh, um, uh, corporations have also started playing with this uh, concept. And, and I think it comes about from the idea that the radical innovation, it becomes um, a necessity to create a robustness in your organization. It becomes not just a way to grow, but it becomes your best defense line. It's you need to have um, uh, create enough optionality to make sure that you don't put all your eggs in your uh, basket of the core business and uh, and that you diversify your portfolio between core innovation and adjacent innovation and, and more of disruptive innovation and there is almost like um, there is much uh, 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 um, an investment Mm, mix that you can do, uh, you know, put 70% of your efforts in your core, but put 10% on potential disruptions. And um, so corporations have been playing more with these uh, concepts. We're seeing it especially being um, uh, at uh, companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, creating efforts to do more disruptive innovation. Uh, X was created out of uh, Google to um, look into this space and, and create um, new opportunities such as uh, self-driving vehicles or uh, providing connectivity into remote areas through uh, balloons that fly in the stratosphere. Um, and now we're seeing venture capitalists um, getting more... Um, getting more interested about uh, uh, taking this type of risk um, because uh, it, it, it does seem like the next growth uh, stocks are going to happen in, th in, in, in areas that impact people on the planet um, as opposed to coming up with the next iteration of a well-defined product um, and uh, for, for a given uh, organization you know it's not about going from 2g to 3g to 4g to 5g uh, about taking something that
um, can uh, really impact uh, people in a positive way. And, and um, so venture capitalists are, are finding uh, opportunities here. And then we're seeing that experiences like the one that X has had, the one we had at Alpha or other uh, Scumworks uh, facilities are, are giving us early indications that, um, that it can be done, that there, is, um, there, there are ways of structuring uh, such a process so you are in the business of de-risking things that uh, seem to have high risk but that if you do it in the right way you can remove a lot of the risk and um, and now interestingly enough um, governments are coming back into it I think they had disappeared out of the equation and um, after this crisis with COVID, we're seeing governments, um, for instance, in Europe, a hundred dollar billion, hundred uh, euro billion, billion fund uh, for um, the moonshots in Japan, the same thing. And, um, uh, and, and we just saw that Daniel Egg announcing a billion dollar investment in moonshots for Europe. So. Um, I believe we're going to see more of these, uh, and 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 uh, and I think it's going to be good for for everybody. I think we're going to see more growth opportunities, and and um, the low, probably the low hanging fruits are are over in a lot of the um, traditional venture uh, builders, and and we're going to see more of uh, moonshot thinking coming about. I. Really appreciate that walk through the, the different stages, the inception of this idea, how it's taken shape, who the players are today. I've spent my entire career with sitting next to some of the best moonshot thinkers in the world, uh, some of the most impactful people who've affected our daily habits and lives. Um, I'm curious, how would you break this down for us normal people? I get asked this question a lot. What are those yes. But that I've seen from Jeff Bezos or Eric Schmidt, and how can we as entrepreneurs, maybe who don't fit those three criteria of a moonshot, we don't have 100 million users, we don't maybe have a breakthrough technology, but we are trying to do something disruptive. What do you think are some of the best practices that can be adopted? I'm thinking about like the ways in which I've been trying to translate this for some of my consulting clients is, um, for example, issues of scale. When you have massive exponential growth, which a lot of people are experiencing even now with COVID or maybe thanks to COVID, um, or the, the reverse engineering of really big ideas. What are some of the, the principles of management or of entrepreneurship that you think are appliable? Yes, yes. Yeah. Scale? yeah. So so I think the definition of a moonshot could mean different things for different people. Um, but uh, but there is there is an underlying principle. So, you know, you, you don't. So so. Uh, for Alpha or X or a big corporation or a government, you know, they're, they're trying to impact um, the world uh, at that scale, uh, uh, parallel to to their scale. Um, but uh, but I but I can see you you can go to your individual personal moonshot, right? Or you could go to the moonshot of um, of a startup or, or or organization that is trying to reinvent itself. To me, at that level, it's something that is critically important for you, but it's very hard to achieve. Um, for an individual, it could be getting rid of uh, a trait that is not serving you well, um, a day-to-day -day addiction that is not helping you anymore. Um, for an organization, it could be going through a major cultural change that they need to do uh, to make sure that they can jump into the digital wagon. Uh, so it's really something that it's uh, super important because you're just hitting the same wall over and over again. And that it's hard to do. It's not something, if you haven't done it up to now, it's, 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 it's something that is uh, quite difficult. And I think the, um, 
the ways the ways in which you go about this um i think i think there are a number of um there are a number of principles that are, are, are super useful into whether you're trying to come up with the personal moonshot or whether you're trying to come up with uh, a, a moonshot of uh, uh, you know providing clean water for the planet or solving mental health for a billion people um and i think that comes to uh, some of some of the values that uh, uh go into this uh, process and into this uh, journey um to me one of the most important ones is um embrace learning um and um we all talk about failure and you know it's, it's kind of an overused concept of uh, fail fail fast and uh, but 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 it, but it, it looks like you it, it looks like something that it's it's outside of you it's failure it's, it's something that you observe and that you you talk about and you dissect without letting it um live for you and then you experience and and then because when you experience is that when you get the learning and then you focus on you focus on the learning and then it becomes a superpower so one of the things that we uh, uh, you know create i create in in in, in uh, organizations like like alpha was creating a learning log uh, of the type of things that you're learning and how fast are you learning and how much are you learning what direction and how fast are you de-risking the most important things first uh, the the other one is is uh, brutal honesty, you know, and um, it's it's super important to make sure that uh, you know the fact the fact that you're trying to do something super difficult that it may take a while doesn't mean that you don't have to have a plan and that you don't have to be super honest about um, what is it that you're trying to accomplish, what is it that how how you measure progress. Uh, uh, what is it that you truly learn and you didn't learn? What is things that are going well and were not going well? And and I and I think this brings me to some another one that is very fundamental for me, which is fall in love with the problem and not the solution. Um, and um, you know, I I've seen I've seen a lot of people falling in love with the problem with the idea. And 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 th and this is what happens. You you're, you're trying to go after something that is super important for um, for the, for the world or for yourself, but you're falling in love with your idea. And then you keep pushing your idea. You keep trying to make it work, and then you're just hearing the music is not coming your way, right? And and then you start. Saying, well, you don't get it. Um, you, you, you know, I'll prove you wrong, type of thing. Because you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to prove that your idea is the right one, as opposed to saying. And, and I've seen, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen, for instance, in the moonshot ideation process, when you go through these sort of encounters, and then you tell people, well, this idea is not going to make it. It doesn't seem to be solving the problem. It's not enough to solve the problem that we're trying to solve. People crying, going in tears, because they've, you know, is 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 their is their entrepreneurship background of um, really focusing on this super um, idea that they've seen it that it can do so many things, and and uh, and this when you go through this passionately way of uh, the risking things and say, look, this is. <clears throat> the work in this process is trying to go through as many ideas that are not going to work as fast as possible so we can actually 
solve the problem that we're trying to solve and take this as a big learning and, and it's, it's, it's actually a success of uh, making sure that uh, uh, we, we, we found this idea and many more that actually didn't work. And, and I think that only, that only happens with, um, yeah, when, when you truly fall in love with, uh, with a purpose and, and with a problem. And, and then there is another emotional journey which has to do with the trust, mm -hmm. trust uh, that things, things will happen and will come your way. Wow, there's so much wisdom to unpack there. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I feel so privileged over the last 10 years to have been able to sit next to and watch the X team at work. Uh, what they do is really special. And I appreciate the way that Astro Teller is a really good um, celebrator of so many of those leadership principles you just outlined, of how they literally, at the end of a project, if it didn't go well, stand up and celebrate that. Because yeah. I think a lot of people hear like failure. And I think what um, Moonshot Thinker is, a better word for failure is just learning. You Everything you just outlined with all the benefits of going through that process of of um, asking yourself, what are we solving for? I'm famous for asking that question over and over again in board meetings, because you're right, sometimes you fall in love with your solution and you forget what you were solving for, and you get so far down the path that you haven't actually accomplished what you set out to do. Um, yeah. I love the idea of a learning log. That's just such a beautiful way of celebrating all the things that we learn the hard way and being able to pass those forward. How do we dissect those into tips or yes. best practices that can serve us and, and our community better as we go forward. So you've been, um, your last two roles have been within big companies. So at Telefonica, when you were running Alpha, um, and then now with X within the, the Google family of, of working for these moonshots. I'm curious what some people might assume that's a really easy environment in which to, to experiment. But I recently heard an interview with Kevin Searstrom, who's the co-founder of Instagram. Then he outlined that it's actually been trickier for him to be innovative now after his Instagram success, which he, he sold to Facebook. And when he's trying to build new things now, he's actually found it really challenging, the fact that he does have so many resources at his disposal. What are, do you think are the pros and cons of being an innovator within um, a set up corporate environment? You know, I, I think multiple sides of the pawn of the, of the um, innovation environment. I, I think a, a technologist and, um, and I think there are great, um, there's a lot of freedom when you're uh, on, purely on the technology side and, and very creative. But then you're you're very far from from customers. You're really far from from the impact. So you end up you end up doing things that sort of you 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 end up talking a lot with computers and um, and, um, and and sort of on the on the on the on the back end. And but you your ability to impact to talk to, to humans and and, and 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 customers is is is, is very remote. On the contrary, uh, when you're in a corporation, you you can be very close to uh, customers, to the business units. Uh, you you can have abundant resources which you don't have in as a technologist. Uh, um, your ability to convene is higher. Um, 
but then there is a big inertia in the organization. Um, it's hard for it's hard for organizations to come up with not 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 just only come up with new visions, but stick to them on the long run. Um, the, so you, you have a lot of inertia of keep doing the same thing, and then uh, then once you come up with a vision, um, you know there are all these corporate antibodies. Uh, there is the market. There is the short-term delivery versus the long the long run. So so it becomes um, so it's not that easy because you you need to spend a lot of time um, on selling mode. You're basically an intrapreneur. You need to make sure that uh, you need to create space for the organization to be able to do what they do well and what they're best at. Um, and, um, um, and, and, and there is a big uh, journey of uh, storytelling um, within the corporation, of storytelling to your board members, to partner to other business units, um so so i think that's why a lot of corporations are coming up and playing with different corporate structures to make sure that you allow for the best of both worlds where uh, and that's why organizations like x or alpha or others can work facilities are set up uh, outside of the mother organization because that's where you can explore a different culture that's where you can um uh, have different processes for procurement for hr for um uh, and 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 bring a different set of talent um and i think what's what's happening now is um trying to create that model as a um, with, with the communities, you know, bring it outside of the corporation and bring venture capitalists and, and communities uh, uh, to create that. So I don't think there is, uh, again, I, I don't think anybody has truly nailed it yet. Um, I think the, it's, it's, it, it goes through waves and, and it very much depends on who has the leading, the leading voice at every, at, at every point in time. And you have to have the flexibility to be able to dance that game at that time, because every 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 setup um, has its pros and and, and, and cons. Uh, so, so as a leader, you you have to know how to bend, uh, how to adapt, how to listen, and again, be very focused on on on, on the on, on the end goal. But uh, every every environment. Um, uh yeah uh, has has uh, has different headwinds and, and tailwinds so you just touched on the fact that um for entrepreneurs there's a lot of different voices that are inserted and as entrepreneurs and especially those who are living in the moonshot space there's so much pivoting and learning and failing how do you know when you're getting it right how do you know which advisors to listen to and when to just go with your gut yeah. So, um, right. When you're, when you're doing this type of uh, innovation where you're taking, um, high levels of risk and where, um, there is no, nobody, nobody has really found the right solution. Um, and it's a big project process of learning. There is, there are, there are signals. So, 
there are, there are signals that are absent that typically exist in your in, a, in, in your entrepreneurship journey, such as the voice of the customer and the voice of the market. You are too early to get the voice of the market, the signals from the market, or the signals from consumers. <clears throat> so you need to, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you cannot have any signals. So basically, you're going to uh, see yourself defining new metrics for success. And um, one of the things that you do um, in this journey is trying to uh, define what I call the killer questions. So these are the type of questions that everybody will tell you, uh, this is the reason why this is not going to work. It's going to work because these, 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 this, and that. And then you, you have a team, you, you bring your team, you, you have that discussion, which creates a lot of alignment. Okay, let's all put everything on top of the table. These are all the reasons why we believe this is not going to work. Are we in agreement? Yes. Okay, let's uh, sort them out. Let's vote them and let's uh, prioritize them. And then let's go after the hardest things first. Right. And then let's try to understand how much we are uh, learning out of those. And whether and and and, uh, and 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 sort of you create a dashboard with lights uh, that is telling you this is going red, this is going orange, and this is going green, and uh, and it's giving you a sense whether this um, rocket ship is actually um, going into the right direction. So you you're gonna become inventive and creative about metrics uh, of success. Um, and uh, but at a certain point, you have to um, touch a lot of the energy in the room. You know there there are things that no metric can can tell you. Uh, so I think we're becoming better at, at, at measuring the energy in the team. Uh, obviously, this emotional journey will go through ups and downs and ups and downs. But if eventually, after multiple repetitions, you just see that they're they're stuck in a in a low energy place. They, they, you, 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 eventually, I think the best thing is that they, they themselves they, they come and they say, "Look, this doesn't make any sense. We'll stop it because we we, we tried our best through this journey, and uh, and, and and this will um, is not taking us uh, is not taking it anywhere." So I, I think there is um, yeah a lot of creativity and innovation in finding new metrics. That doesn't mean that you cannot measure things, and 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 especially. Um, uh, you know, look at people's eyes and look if they're shining. <laughs> and if they're shining um, a few times in the day during some good discussions, it means that it's still connected to their purpose and, and they, they want to go forward. They're still seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, even if they cannot spell it out. I think that's so, that is the secret sauce. Especially, I've worked in companies that are so data-driven. We measure everything. We have these models, we, you know, but really the good leadership comes down to those softer skills, that emotional intelligence, seeing the way it's, it's living in the wild once you get it out in, in users' hands. And yeah. so much of, of good leadership is around those skills. So how do you, um, as a leader, align your team with your plan, especially when you're charting a path through ambiguity? Maybe you're doing something that no one has ever done before. How do you create some alignment around a plan forward? Right. So, okay. So one of the first things that uh, I, I think in, in creating that alignment is, is bringing a lot of uh, diversity 
uh, into the discussion. I think you you know it's a process of opening and closing of opening and closing. So so you know foster a, a culture of uh, uh, radical diversity um, where you bring um, and I'm I, I don't I don't just mean about uh, gender diversity you know uh, but but experience diversity and. Um, and uh, and bring uh, you know create a culture where an, an artist can feel valuable and an engineer is out of his depth and and a theater director can create brainstorming spaces and and uh, so so yeah create that 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 culture where you can open and all the voices can be heard right I think that's super important then um, then create space for psychological safety where people. Where, where people can be brutally honest and where you can go through tough conversations and where you can, and there is no, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, a lot of uh, the teams that I work with, we went through a lot of the non-violent communication training. So you, if people don't feel uh, violated, violated when they uh, say something and, 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 and the opposite, when they receive it, right? So I think a lot of that, um, a lot of that training is super important. <laughs> And um, and then do the creative journey together. Um, I think uh, imagining the moon together and doing open sessions for review. And um, uh, I, I think that that creates a lot of alignment. And 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 um, I've seen it to the point, for instance, through the hiring process. Um, one thing that uh, that we used to do to or that we do to, to create alignment is to um, uh, personify the candidate or the person that we want to recruit, and um, and that that creates a lot of alignment in the team because we we all need to imagine what is the person that the the, the team uh, requires, and everybody starts throwing ideas. Oh, so this person probably uh, is uh, on its thirties. Um, somebody says, so it's probably, <clears throat> it probably, uh, it's about thinking about having a kid, um, probably it's, um, um, it has interest beyond, uh, you know, it's an artist in, in spare time and probably hung, has, hangs out in these places and to these conferences. And by just doing this uh, process of um, projecting who that person that you want to recruit is, uh, sort of the team starts revealing the needs and worries that is important for them and prioritize it. And then that helps you through the search process later on. But I think there are a lot of um, efforts that you can do by bringing people at every step in the process so they, they feel that they're part of it. And, uh, and it's beyond transparency. It's they, you, they feel that they're co-creating it. And, and, um, um, and, and, and I've seen that um, combined with space of psychological safety that sort of brings everyone together again and again, which is super important, together with a great storytelling. I think a great story, it's super um, uh, necessary for taking this journey, which is a journey from belief into impact. So there needs to be an overarching story that everybody sort of helps create, but that everybody uh, makes its own, that um, that, it, that it's, it, it needs to be, it needs to be refined enough to take the subtleties uh, 
of the of the journey. But I think investing in a good storytelling team it's it's uh, it's, it's critically important for that alignment. I could not agree more. I I think those foundational issues are sometimes overlooked, especially when you're so excited about what you're building or trying to invent that you forget some of these foundational issues of hiring for diverse voices and experience, creating psychological safety to experiment and fail and, and be celebrated, inviting all these voices and knowing what journey we're going on together and being really thoughtful from that from the beginning. That makes all the difference. I see so many companies who skip those steps and then they have frustrations later, even though their business idea was amazing, they just don't have the right pieces in place to deliver it. So I think if, if listeners take away nothing but the last two minutes, they will be so far ahead of many, many entrepreneurs that I experience and save themselves a lot of frustration. There's so much. We could talk for two hours just about those two minutes that you just summarized. Uh, it's incredible. But in respect of time, the, my last couple of questions are just going to be about the future. So I'm curious, what have you seen in the in the entrepreneur space in this pandemic environment? Are you seeing more or less risk taking? What's the appetite out there? So I'm seeing <clears throat> I'm seeing three things. I'm seeing corporates um, finding synergies, looking for synergies. Um, I think I'm seeing a lot of leaders wandering around. On a, on a room that feels very dark and trying to touch the walls, see where the, uh, how to turn the lights on again and see whether things can come back to normal. I'm seeing governments as, um, um, stepping, stepping in and, um, and uh, probably pro providing some new uh, try, trying to oil the system again, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing the vision yet. I'm seeing they they have the ability and the means, but I uh, operationally and organizationally, it's hard for them to um, make it happen. I'm seeing communities becoming abundant. I think people wanna want to. They don't want to listen to talks. They wanna talk to each other. They want to the, the the meaningful connection. So I'm seeing more and more communities appearing, and I'm seeing entrepreneurs daring more into things that relate to to social impact, like the one that we're seeing now. And venture capital is wanting to take the next layer of risk. So I'm seeing all those as as, as trends. There are some areas that are clearly uh, becoming super important, like uh, health and distribution. Uh, and logistics, but I, I think it's a time to um, I think it's a time to wonder and explore um, to create again, not make some radical steps. I think um, everybody's uh, you, you know if, 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 uh, at least personally for me, it feels like mm -hmm, I stop seeing <laughs> I cannot I cannot see what's on the other side. Um, I can only experience the what, what I'm doing at every point in time. So there is a lot of um, I think vision went over the window, <coughs> and and I think it's a lot of time for exploration and um, 
and, and creativity and creating because I think the story that has taken us up to here doesn't serve us anymore and the one that will come next has not yet been written and we are playing in that middle window where we probably need to hold attention for uh, a little longer and um, and uh, yeah question a lot of question a lot of things yeah. I think that's both so exciting and um perhaps for some people a little intimidating about our current environment, but I, I do think there's so much hope to hold on to that we can now be really purposeful about the future that we want to create and our roles in it individually. So my favorite last question of our guests is, um, what gives you hope for the future? What are you excited about right now? I mean, I'm super excited about people. I'm, I'm super excited about humans. Thank God we're humans. Um, I, I, I think you know I'm, I'm, I'm a technologist. Um, I, I love everything about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, and the tech world. But I, I get fascinated by the magic that gets created with individuals and communities. And I think the collective force of doing good and and listening to each other again and coming together, um, creating spaces for artists with entrepreneurs and and creating sort of a. Uh, a, a new renaissance. I think this is the time for for a new renaissance, like the one we saw with uh, uh, the Medici's in in Italy. In, in the, and I think we're we're at this point where everything is upside down. And somehow I love it. Yeah, it's, it's the time where um, you know these crucible moments after a global pandemic combined with uh, anti-racism movement in the United States, where you can bring. Uh, people from all walks of lives to create beauty and meaning and uh, and, and bring solutions that um, brings us all more together. I think, I think that's what excites me about the future. I love that. Thank you, Pablo. This conversation has been so inspiring and really directly applicable. I think you're going to help a lot of people who are trying to make some good in the world and really have given them an advantage to do so. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the rest of the journey and, and where this community and the people they are trying to impact um, makes it into, into reality in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Pablo. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Bet on Yourself podcast. If you're like me, you have a lot of new insights and ideas of things you want to implement from this episode. Don't worry if you were listening to this while walking the dog or putting a baby to sleep or driving and didn't have hands free to take notes. We've done the hard work for you. Check out the show notes here in your podcast app or on my website, annhyatt.co, for additional resources. While you're there, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which always supplements these podcast themes with additional free resources. May I ask for a quick favor? Please click on that follow or subscribe button here in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode and give us a five-star rating. I'd love it if you'd also share this via your social media with your friends and tag me so that I can see what resonated with you, who you would like to hear on future episodes, and what topics are on your mind. We'll be back next week with even more content to support you in your big bets. I'll see you then.